Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As COVID-19 rages across the globe, more and more organizations are leveraging technology to enable an increasingly remote workforce. With traditional geographic barriers to work breaking down, it's more important than ever that organizations create inclusive and diverse professional environments that leverage the unique contributions from their workforce. In this HCI podcast episode, I explore these topics and address leveraging diversity to enhance employee belonging and to drive positive organizational outcomes. Today, we're going to be talking about enhancing HR practice within an environment of professional and organizational diversity. So with a global pandemic and we have all these fears going around about coronavirus uh, and uh, people, there's fear, uh, people are feeling disconcerted and uh, worried about not just their health, but about uh, the economy and their jobs and the financial fallout. Uh, How are they gonna make rent? Uh, How are businesses gonna stay open? All of these things are on the forefront of everyone's minds right now. And I think it's important for us to just take a step back and to recognize that all of those emotions are, are real, they're relevant, uh, they're appropriate. Um, and so while it's probably not healthy to uh, allow ourselves to dwell uh, on the negative, um, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of trying to be proactive, in my life and, and focusing on the things that I can control. There's also a grieving that happens as we are isolating, you know, in our homes, uh, as we're disconnecting socially, you know, from people in physical contact. Uh, that's, that's hard. Um, and it brings with it a lot of, of newness that we're not used to. So I just want to acknowledge that. And I would, um, encourage you to take some time to reflect on how all of this is impacting you um, and perhaps what's what's a silver lining that might be hidden in all of this uh, turmoil that we're facing in the world right now. Um, I, in, in one of my professional roles, for example, I was in a Zoom meeting the other day and we were talking about what we need to be doing now to prepare for a prolonged um, situation of social social isolation and that question was really intriguing to me and it was enough to prick my thinking in terms of like what are some actual really good positive outcomes that are already starting to surface because of the difficulties that we're all facing there's no doubt that we're facing difficulties there's no doubt that it's hard there's no doubt that it's it's throwing everyone for a loop but um Amidst change and transformation, there are opportunities too. So I encourage you to think about what you can control. I encourage you to think about 
um, the silver lining and the things that might be hidden gems um, that you can focus on. And I hope um, that our discussion over the next little bit will be uh, worthwhile and, and useful to you. So the topic for today is enhancing HR practice within an environment of professional and organizational diversity. If any of you tuned in for last month's webinar, um, you will recognize that there are a few elements of that webinar on the future of work and strategic HR that I, I, I felt like we didn't have enough time to really focus on. And so I pulled some of that out um, and, and we're going to take more time today to delve into it and to have um, hopefully a, a useful um, sharing uh, of, of some thinking around those topics. Uh, I think this, this, this topic of diversity, of course, is so important. We, I think we all know, uh, we've heard it enough over the, the last decade or two, you know, diversity is important. It helps organizations to be successful. Um, it, can, it can drive innovation. It can drive higher productivity. It can, it can help with creativity, there's all these uh, ways that innovate that uh, that excuse me diversity uh, and inclusivity in the workplace can drive positive outcomes for organizations. So all of that is absolutely true. I'm not going to focus on all of those um, in this presentation today. We're just going to take that as a given, um, as a starting point for further discussion. Um, that diversity is good. That we want to embrace diversity. We want to create an environment for diversity where it can thrive, where can, we can leverage um, the unique backgrounds, knowledge, understanding, and the value that every individual person brings through their diverse backgrounds into the organization and have something positive come of it. So that's really where we're starting from, and we're going to um, explore today um, some other elements of diversity that I think are important and relevant as we think about HR practice, as we think about leadership within organizations. Uh, I, I've been doing this for 20 plus years, um, working with organizations, and my whole desire is to help organizations transform into uh, healthy environments that will thrive and be productive and successful. Uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, some of my roles uh, in an academic setting, I'm also connected with, um, in the so Center for Social Impact, what's called the Social Impact Metrics Lab, um, or SimLab for short. Uh, and I've had a lot of involvement with the Center for the Study of Ethics. Um, and I, I think my kind of diverse background might come into play as we have our discussion today because I think it's relevant. Um, but you can see that I, I have an interdisciplinary background. I come and, and, and address organizational challenges and problems from um, a very interdisciplinary and systems perspective, um, very much wanting to utilize equity design thinking and other such principles to help organizations ultimately be successful and leverage the capacity of their people. So what we're gonna talk about over the next little bit uh, can be broken down as follows. Uh, first, I want to talk about the intersection of leadership and service. Uh, I have a model that I, that I created a long time ago. That's probably not a perfect model, but it's something that I'm gonna share with you. Uh, the blind men, and the elephant. It's a parable uh, I'm sure you've all heard before, but we're going to take a little bit of time to talk about that. The diversity wheel, also not my invention. This is something that um, lots of experts in the realm of diversity have developed over a long period of time. And there's a lot of academic literature to go behind um, everything that's in what I'll be showing you. Um, interdisciplinarity in organizational diversity. Uh, I think uh, we're going to have this 
this exploration of why that matters and how it connects and is relevant to diversity. Uh, I'm going to share with you a proverb called Frog in the Well uh, that I think is really uh, informative. And I'm going to uh, talk about breaking free of our functional silos. So what was happening was years ago, I was in grad school. I was sitting in a class on leadership. Uh, you know, we a lot of us have probably been in those types of classes before. And we were talking about different theories of leadership and change. Uh, and and there, there's tons of them. And, and there's lots of research that goes behind them. And they're all very interesting. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I was enjoying the discussion. Um, but I also was getting bored and, and I, just the way my mind works, I, I tend to um, look at, I, I just tend to, to think of things in terms of systems, excuse me, I, I turn, I tend to think of things in terms of systems and, and these models were all interesting in, in one aspect, but they were missing other pieces, other core pieces. And so I, I became enamored with this idea of having like a, a theory of everything um in terms of leadership something that could be applicable across contexts across scenarios uh regardless of the types of people that are involved and of course that's i mean there, there's a reason why a theory like that doesn't exist is because context matters and and the dynamics of the people and the team or the group matters um the industry matters all these different things do matter and so that's why we have all these different theories and, and they're they're like a toolkit and each one can be utilized you know, as a framework to understand different situations. So anyways, I was in a class um, in that kind of a, a context and I was frankly a little bit bored and I decided, you know what, I'm, what, what, what would be a theory of everything? Um, and I started to jot some, down some ideas. And so what you see here in front of you is ultimately what came out of that years and years ago. Um, and you'll, you'll recognize that the concepts are fairly vague and that, that was my attempt to keep something universal that could be applied across settings. Um, but as time has gone by, I have thought about really what's the foundation of my leadership philosophy. And it comes down to servant leadership, uh, as you can see in the heading on this slide, and that intersection between leadership and service. Um, now, there's certainly a time, you know, situational leadership, for example, would suggest that there are times for autocratic leadership, there are times for um, collaborative leadership. There are times for servant leadership. Uh, and I believe that too. I, I, I think that the situation does dictate, but as a fundamental philosophy of how I approach leadership in most situations, not in the, not in the, uh, the one-off um, catastrophe um, where certain behaviors might be, you know, more appropriate or needed, but like continually, like thinking in terms of long-term um, connection with people and leading organizations, sustainable organizations in the long term. I think for me, it's, it comes down to servant leadership. Um, it's, it's all about how do we um, connect with the people we lead? Uh, how do we serve them? How do we help them? How do we support them? It's, you know, if we think in terms of um, uh, management theory, there's a classic theory X and theory Y approach to understanding organizations and how we interface with people. Theory X tends to be the more micromanaging type of style where, you, where you're trying to um, really just control your employees. You're assuming that they will be lazy. You're assuming that they aren't going to be successful and that you have to be there every step of the way to make sure that they're doing what they need to do. That's a really kind of classic model of, of management that came out of the Industrial Revolution. And, um, and over time, though, uh, leadership 
and management experts um, recognize that that has a lot of drawbacks because you're not fostering any sort of um, trust. You're not uh, fostering any sort of commitment. You're simply getting compliance and compliance is never as powerful and motivating behavior as, as uh, commitment is. Uh, so with, with that kind of a context of a shift between a theory X frame of thinking to a theory Y, where we're really employee centric, where we, we, we think that we want to empower our employees and we want to leverage their capacity and we want to um, take every opportunity we can to appropriately delegate and help other people grow and, and, uh, and succeed. Um, that's, that's the stuff of modern leadership. And then there's all these other theories that go into it. Uh, but with servant leadership, uh, I have this, it connects with theory Y approach. And I have this fundamental feeling that the best long-term sustainable leaders will have a genuine, authentic caring for the people that they lead, that their ego won't get in the way, that it's not all about them. Rather, it's about the people they are leading. Uh, and when you take a service approach, you're willing to roll up your sleeves and get dirt, your hands dirty right alongside every single other person. You don't consider yourself above any other person uh, in the organization. I think all of that's really important. So with that as a foundation, then I started to think, well, um, what else is universally important as we try to think about developing our own leadership ca uh, capabilities and capacities? Uh, and I and I was thinking about self-reflection. Um, we need to have self-knowledge. We need to understand what drives us, um, who we are, what we do. We all have these biases, implicit biases, or even explicit biases, prejudices um, that 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 influence our thinking, that influence our behavior. And there's a reason why lots of people make a lot of money in psychotherapy um, to help people work through the process of understanding themselves, understanding their background, understanding the things that have contributed to making them who they are, the good, the bad, bad and the ugly. Um, and I think whether we need to go to therapy or not, I, I do actually believe that most people will benefit from um, regular therapy, but uh, whether we go to therapy or not, um, we, we need to be proactive about being critically self-reflective, uh, not critical in the sense that we're beating ourselves up, but that we're taking a very serious look at ourselves on a regular basis, that we're holding that mirror up in front of us and we're not afraid of what we see, uh, but rather we're willing to really acknowledge the good, the bad, and the ugly, the, and the warts and all, and that then we can be proactive in moving forward. So as we learn more about ourselves and have better self-understanding, um, that is the first step in us then uh, building on our strengths and competencies and capabilities as leaders and as servants of the people we interact with. Um, but of course, in any social dynamic, there's other people. So understanding those you lead and serve is also truly important. Uh, it's And it's not enough to just use the golden rule and say, you know, I'm going to do what I want other people to do to me because everyone's different. Everyone has different salient motivators, uh, different factors that are important to them. And, and so you, I'm sure you've heard about the platinum rule, not the golden rule, um, do unto others as, as they would have you do unto them. So we need to understand ourselves surely, but then we need to understand those that we interact with. And only when we understand those that we interact with, will we be in a situation where we can effectively motivate, help I, I shouldn't say we will motivate them, but we can help create an environment where they can motivate themselves, where they can 
um, recognize their own drivers um, and tap into that motivation. Uh, that's really important. And ultimately, that's what leaders do. Uh, leaders help others recognize their capacity and help build out their capacity. Uh, and it's a reciprocal process. So the more I understand myself, the more I understand others. And the more I understand others, the more I learn about myself. And at least for me, over the last couple of decades of my life, uh, I would like to think even in my even in my childhood, in my teen years, hopefully I was doing some of this, but as I've gotten older and matured and as I've, I've moved on in my life professionally and uh, academically, socially, um, that I, you know, I, I definitely see this process happening. Uh, as I'm proactive about it, um, then every day brings new opportunities to learn and grow. Um, even when I'm facing the same types of situations over and over again, um, you know, if, if I get complacent and feel like, oh, I've, I've done this 10 times before, I'm just going to do the same thing I did last time. That that always seems to work. You know, we, we all make we all take mental shortcuts uh, in how we interact with a complex world. But we need to have enough intellectual humility to recognize that every situation, every individual is unique. It is different and it requires a unique approach. That might tap into some of our past experience, but every new experience has to be um, dealt with anew. Um, that's the, the main idea. So once, once as we're building, I shouldn't say once we do this, but as we're doing this, um, we also work to develop leadership skills and abilities. We do that in a number of ways. You're attending a webinar, uh, watching this webinar. Um, I have students at the university who take my classes, do projects, do research with me, those sorts of things. Um, Sometimes it's really formal, sometimes it's informal, um, but there's these opportunities to develop leadership skills and abilities um, pretty much every day if we look for them. And in this digital world, there are so many free resources out there um, that we can um, leverage to increase our understanding, our knowledge, skills, and abilities in just about any area. So we need to take advantage of those opportunities. And as we develop those skills and abilities, those competencies and capabilities, uh, we also need to practice them because just just learning something uh, isn't enough to actually drive to, to then feed into our behavior. Um, I can read management and leadership books all day long, but if I never actually try to implement any of those principles into practice, I'm never going to become a better leader. Someone can get an MBA uh, and uh, with an emphasis in organizational behavior and leadership and organizational development and not be any good at any of those things. Uh, they may be really book smart, but they may not have any street smarts or practical smarts about them. So, so applying the skills and abilities to lead and serve others is really important. And as we do the, as we develop those skills and as we apply those skills, that then provides us opportunity for continual feedback. So these, the, it, we complete the feedback loop um, with the arrows going back up to our self understanding and understanding others. That that feedback loop um, should be part of what we're doing every day. And so this, this becomes an upward spiral in my mind of continual capacity building. Um, as we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about others that allows us to develop, to see the gaps in our, in our skills and abilities, um, to, to build upon our strengths, um, to, to find new ways to apply and, and to further develop. Um, in our leadership and service of others. And, and sometimes there's going to be successes, sometimes there's going to be failures, but ultimately um, we're going to continue learning and growing. And, and I think that's what life is all about. That's what we're all shooting for is to have a fulfilled life where we're continually growing, continually learning. 
Um, and, and so years and years ago, I'm sitting in a classroom. This is what I came up with. And I tweaked it slightly over the years, but really I think it holds up. I, I think um, you can overlay just about any leadership, any other leadership theory over the top of this. Uh, and it still works uh, because this isn't so much about particular tactics or particular um, behaviors in leadership um, or even particular skills, abilities, competencies, or capabilities. But this is rather more of a, a way of thinking about our continual growth and development as leaders as we try to serve others. forward if i can get the slide to move there we go okay so the blind men and the elephant i i think you, you've all probably heard this before um but i really like this one I, I briefly referenced this for just a minute in in my webinar last month but i thought it was worth taking a little bit more time um so if you'll indulge me for a minute i just want to read this uh, to you it was six men of Indistan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happened to fall against his broad, sturdy side and once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. This one, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening takes the squirming trunk within his hands, this boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, Even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most deny the fact who can this marvel of an elephant is very like a fan the sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope i see quoth he the elephant is very like a rope and so these men of Indistan disputed loud and long each in his own opinion exceeding exceeding stiff and strong though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong I hope, you know, as, as I read that, as you read it along with me, um, you know, I hope the message here is really clear. Each was partly right. All were in the wrong. Why, why were they all in the wrong? Because none of them saw the whole picture. They each only saw one small piece and using their senses that they had, they didn't, they couldn't use their eyes, but using their, 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 um, sense of touch they were able to gain data. They were able to, and, and based on their past experience, they were able to uh, provide context for what they were experiencing. And they were confident, very confident in how they were approaching the elephant and what they thought it meant. Um, and each of, their, each of their approaches seems reasonable. The problem was none of them had the big picture. None of them were able to use all of their senses in understanding what the elephant was. So their data was limited. And as a, as a result, none of them actually understood what the elephant was and none of them saw the whole scope. And the truth is we all deal with that all the time within our organizations. Um, you know, I find myself uh, falling into this trap as well from time to time 
Um, you know, I try to take a systems approach. I try to look holistically at the whole organization and all different components and all different stakeholders and the, the uh, intended and unintended consequences of actions and behaviors. Um, but the reality is, um, you know, we don't always know what we don't know um, and we can get really confident. And so that's why we can get overconfident, I should say. And that's why it's important for us to get good teams around us, people with different ways of knowing and understanding, people with different backgrounds, people um, who who can bring their own unique experiences, their own unique insights to the table to help us better understand the whole, unlike an elephant, an organization, um, in all facets of an organization or a market, it's almost unknowable, right? I mean, it's just so complex. And so to think that one person alone, as insightful as they may be, can come in and really understand what's happening um, is is foolish. Uh, and it, frankly, it, 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 it reeks of ego and narcissism, and it's not the intellectual humility that's so important as we're trying to lead sustainable organizations today. Okay, I also wanted to take a moment um, to to share the diversity wheel. Um, there are so many different types of diversity that we have in our organizations, um, and, and our employees aren't a monolith. Uh, they have all sorts of different unique characteristics. And a lot of times when we talk about diversity or even inclusivity, we, we tend to focus on these very um, these very outward facing characteristics, gender, physical and mental ability, age, race, things that we can often observe fairly easily and quickly in organizations. You know, when you apply for a job and they'll have that section at the very end of the application, that's that's uh, optional where you can say if you have a you know a disability or you can, you know, you can identify your race, your age, your gender, those sorts of things. Um, you know, those are the types of things that most organizations tend to keep track of. Um, for the sake of diversity, but let's let us not be fooled. That's not all that's important. And there's many other things that are less uh, immediately observable that also bring a richness to any organization and any discussion, any dialogue, any decision making. Um, so that that inner hub has those really obvious characteristics. But as you go further out the wheel, they become less and less obvious. Um, so the, the the inner ring now, or the, the orange ring now, we have things like religion and belief, we have social class, socioeconomic status, uh, sexual orientation, ethnic heritage. These aren't things that you're necessarily going to know. There might be markers, there might be signals, but you're largely not going to know those things until you get to know the person. Um, and, and so it speaks to the importance of us knowing our people as leaders. If we're going to really lead them and serve them and help create an atmosphere where they can be motivated um, based on the things that are important to them, then we, we need to work towards um, understanding our people in appropriate ways. Um, the outer ring then gets into those things that are even more elusive and hard to really understand unless we know our people. Experience and functional knowledge uh, communication style, cultural background, political beliefs, family status, organizational role, birthplace, community relationships, expertise, income, health, first language, education and training, so on and so forth. And we could, I'm sure we could brainstorm others that we could add to the list. Um, the point here is let's not, when we think about diversity in organizations, let's not just think about gender, race, ethnicity, those sorts of things. While it's absolutely important that we have teams 
that represent our surrounding population, that we, uh, that we have equity in the workplace uh, in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, um, sexual orientation and such. That's all super important. Uh, I don't mean to minimize that, but let's also look for diversity of thought. Let's look for diversity in background, experience, um, things like socioeconomic status, cultural background. Those are rich uh, elements that can drive um, how we understand ourselves and others. And so it's something we should embrace. Now, I teased this at the very beginning with my own background and, and all the different things that I'm involved in. Um, I believe strongly that interdisciplinarity uh, is really key to successful organizational diversity and really leveraging a positive organizational diversity. So interdisciplinarity involves the combining of two or more disciplines into one activity. It's about creating something new by crossing boundaries, thinking across them. So as I mentioned a couple times already today, you know, I, I try to be a systems thinker. I try to look holistically at situations from all different angles. And that in and of itself is, is really an interdisciplinary type of an approach um, that I, I can recognize that, uh, that, you know, there's a sociological element, there's an economic element, there's an anthropological element, a political science element, certainly a business element, um, you know, a psychological element, so on and so forth. There's all these different pieces and, and things that go into how we, uh, how we understand and make sense of each other. And organizations tend to be siloed. They tend to be um, divided up into functional areas. Some more progressive organizations have a flatter hierarchy. They have more cross-functional teams, those sorts of things. But still, the traditional organization in most places um, is, is fairly siloed and, and you have functional areas that are kind of doing their own thing. So we need to help professionals within any organizational setting to develop integrated knowledge, insights, problem solving and skills, self-confidence, self-efficacy, passion for continuous learning. And research is clear that when we help to do this, it really enhances people's cognitive abilities. Um, it helps them recognize their biases, particularly their implicit biases that maybe they wouldn't have recognized or understood otherwise. It helps them think critically. It helps them to tolerate ambiguity um, and just understand that like things aren't simple. Things aren't clear cut. Like there's almost always nuance and complexity in almost every situation. And that's important to understand, uh, acknowledge and appreciate ethical concerns, uh, so on and so forth. All right. I really love this proverb. Uh, I spent uh, a lot of time in South Korea. Uh, I, I spent about three years in South Korea, um, both first as a, a service missionary uh, in my uh, uh, from the age of 19 to 21. But then I, I returned uh, after some time at university where I, I, uh, I learned the language, uh, the culture uh, quite a bit while I was a service missionary there. Um, and then when I came back to university, I minored in Korean. I continued to study the language, uh, the people, the culture. Uh, I remember taking a business Korean class. That was super interesting. And then I had the opportunity to go back and work in South Korea at LG Electronics uh, in Kumi, South Korea. And I, I just love the, the proverbs. I love the, uh, they call them sokdams. And I love the sokdam. And there's so many that were really impactful to me. But one that I learned really early on that has always stuck with me is umur anegeguri. You can see here the frog in the well. Um, and I think this is really important when we think about diversity of thought, when we think about not just those obvious outward manifestations of diversity, but the diversity and insight that comes through different experiences, upbringing, backgrounds. Um, so imagine that you're a frog in a well. 
uh, imagine that first imagine that you're a frog that fell into a well so you've lived outside you've been hopping around you've been doing all you know living life and then all of a sudden you fall into the well think about what it would be like to be at the bottom of that well in that situation uh, a lot of people talk about how it's cold it's dark uh, you feel trapped uh, there, there's no hope you can't escape you look up and you only see this small pillar of sky above you so this world used to be uh, to, to be uh, extensive uh, and now you, you have this limited uh, experience and that would be incredibly frustrating for most people right they feel confined they feel trapped uh, and it, it would be really difficult for them now flip flip the narrative a little bit and think about if you were born at the bottom of a well so you didn't fall in you've been down there your whole life it's in fact all you've ever known and that changes the whole dynamic doesn't it because now instead of feeling trapped um you know you just don't know any different right you don't know any better um, you don't know what's outside the well you don't know that the sky is more expansive you don't know that there are other types of animals you don't know that it's dark because you don't know the alternative right um and and the truth is we're all like frogs at the bottom of a well we all uh grow up within our own particular uh you know familial environment uh there are a lot of different forms of families you know people have lots of different experiences and what their upbringing is like but regardless of what that is they get socialized and they they're taught certain values and morals uh, certain ways of understanding the world and those that they interact with uh, all of that goes into how they their 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 worldview and their whole understanding of everything um we, we all come from that background every single one of us um has that experience as a as a youth um but as we start to grow up uh, we start to get more independence. We start to experience more things. We start to interact with more people outside of our home. We start to see that there are more ways of making sense of the world than maybe what the limited way that we understood when we were younger. Uh, and so you can think of that kind of like the frog rising out of the well. And at some point, we get to the point where we can actually peek our head. We rise up and we can peek our head over the top of that well. And once we do that, we, we realize the higher we go, the more sky we can see. And as we peek over the top of the well, we can, for the first time, remember, if we've been born at the bottom of the well, we don't know any different. So now for the first time, we are able to see the, all of the variety in the world around us, the expansiveness of the sky, the different landscapes, all the different animals, uh, everything that's around us. And it's beautiful and it's, it's amazing. And we also start to realize that, wait a minute, everything I thought I knew at the bottom of my well now is so lim i mean I, I recognize for the first time that it's so limited uh and in some cases maybe i was wrong in the way i understood and thought about things um and so that's a natural process that we all go through but when we peek our head out of the well what we also start to notice is that there are lots of other wells we start to see that the landscape is dotted with wells and we see little frogs peeking their heads over all these other little wells too so all these other people from all their different backgrounds are peeking their head out of the well and in that in that moment people respond in different ways some get nervous uh they say you know my well is what i know it's it's how i've understood the world my whole life it's safe it's secure um they you know what one of the 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 flip side of the coin if, if you if you get out of the well you escape and now you can go see the world you can go experience everything that the world has to offer but you're also in more danger there are predators uh there are there are ways 
you just don't know what you don't know and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And so there's opportunities uh, for you to be hurt. Um, and, and so some people will, will gladly retreat back into their own well, um, you know, very happy to live out their life in safety and security within a, a world that they know and understand. Uh, still others will see all these other wells and they'll, and then they'll recognize maybe for the first time that, wow, everything I knew growing up, you know, had its, its limitations and, 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 uh, in, in some ways maybe wrong or even false. And, and so they, they want to escape their well, they want to, to go explore. Um, but while it being, while going through the exploration process, they also start to recognize and notice the dangers. Um, and, and they also get closer proximity to all these other wells and they get curious. And so they want to go look at these other wells. Uh, and, and many people will essentially trade wells. They'll, they'll leave their well, they'll go explore, they'll find another well, and then they'll go into that well. And I think of that in terms of more or less trading ideology for ideology, whether that's political ideology, social, economic, um, religious ideology. You know, we, we see the limitations in our own upbringing and our own ideologies that we originally had. We, we understand how those, you know, could be damaging or hurtful. Uh, and, and then we find something new that's exciting, that's interesting, and we decide to, to, to do that instead, right? Trading ideology, ideology for ideology. Um, and so a lot of people, a lot of frogs end up going into just a different well. And then it's, it's the relatively rare frog that will just embrace the newness, embrace the ambiguity, embrace the complexity, embrace the, 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 the contradictions of the beauty with the dangers and everything that goes into that. And so Koreans will use this proverb to talk about someone, you know, if they say someone's like a frog at the bottom of a well, what they're saying is someone is basically walking around life with blinders on. Like they're, they have a really limited worldview. They're maybe um, unduly confident in their own uh, opinion and perspective, unable or unwilling to see the, the perspectives of all those around them. Uh, and so what I want to do in my own life and what I challenge my students to do at the university and what I challenge clients to do uh, in organizations is to get out of the well, to, to recognize the discomfort, embrace the discomfort, lean into it. And in so doing now you, you can interact with all these other frogs, right? That you never knew existed before. Um, you can leverage their, their backgrounds, their experience, their own unique worldviews. You can, you can couple that with all the, the amazing beauties of the world around us, and we can accomplish grand things uh, and be creative and innovate within that space. Um, so I hope that we can all be frogs outside of the well. And I think it's it's core to this idea of leveraging diversity within organizations and having effective HR practice. As we finish up today, um, I just have a, a few more minutes. Uh, I want to hit home this idea of breaking free from silos. We really need to um, learn to get outside of our own unique sphere. So just like we talked about frog in a well, sometimes we're essentially like that within our own organizations where we're like our frog within our functional silo, right? We, we can only see the world from our own, um, our, our own narrow perspective. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's, ne there's necessity for expertise and to, 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 to be a generalist that can go a mile wide and an inch deep um, has its place, but also, you know, organizations need people that can go a mile deep, right? They need people who are expert 
in their specific niche. Um, and so what I'm, I'm not arguing for getting rid of expertise or specialties, but what I'm suggesting is that we find ways to connect people with those expertise and, and specialties. While it, not, it may not be possible for people to specialize in, you know, more than a handful of things, um, you know, we, we may not go a, a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, we, it's certainly not reasonable to say we're going to go a mile wide and a mile deep, but maybe we can go, you know, 10 meters wide and 10 meters deep. You know, if you get people like that within your organization that, that fundamentally understand how everything is connected, uh, who are willing and excited to, to embrace all the different opinions and, and, and build upon those differences in a, in a strategic way to come to better outcomes, that's when organizations can really thrive. Uh, that's what organizations need, particularly in this hyper-competitive global marketplace um, where, where technology is uh, rapidly advancing, the, the nature of work and the future of work is shifting, and then you add on top of that uh, other layers of uncertainty surrounding global pandemics and what that means for societies and for economies. I mean, the truth is we have no idea what the future holds and the only way we're going to be successful and, and adapting in real time so that we can both be successful as organizations, but also as people um, it's if we leverage the expertise of those around us, uh, their unique backgrounds, their gifts, their talents, their perspectives. Uh, and I, I just feel so strongly about that. Strong organizations, uh, organizations with good, healthy HR uh, embrace this idea. They have a culture of mutual accountability and trust. They recognize the need for everyone to, to productively challenge each other, not in a way like not a shouting match, not, not uh, trying to um, assert one's position over another, but like really recognizing that pushback is important. It's necessary. It's valuable. Um, and it should be expected. Like we should, you know, battle it out, so to speak, you know, the, uh, in, in terms of uh, testing our ideas and really pushing ourselves to fine tune and hone our thinking about complex issues. Uh, that's what I hope every organization can do. And this is one of the things that I focus on um, all the time when I'm working with clients, um, whether it be uh, uh, you know, doing whole organization interventions, trying to help um, develop and maintain and, and sustain a, a positive culture or particular, you know, team level or individual level interventions within an organization, individual leadership coaching, uh, even with my students at the university. Like these are the types of things I, I try to focus on a lot because it's just so, so important. It's foundational. It's fundamental to having healthy, successful organizations. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.